Um, I cannot think of a better of a better time, a better day than this morning, Christmas morning, to finish up our birthmark series. We've we've been taking the month of December and we've been talking about just this one question. If the birth of Jesus changed everything, and it did, right? If the birth of Jesus changed everything, then the birth of Jesus should change us as well. It should mark us. We should have marks in our lives. It, we, we've already talked about the way that his birth split time in half. And we've talked about other, like some of the leaders in our, in our, in our history that have said Jesus was the most revolutionary leader that they've ever known. We've talked about ways that Jesus has marked the world. His birth marked the world. But what we've been talking about is this new birth that we have, right? And if, if you're born again, that's what the Bible calls it when you've come to, to life in Christ. If you're born again, what Jerry was talking about as, they, as he was sharing some of his testimony, when you know that you were dead and now you're alive, that's, that's what the Bible calls being born again. And when that happens in your life, you don't have to try to be different. You, you kind of, like this is a season of fruitcakes, right? You kind of become one of those. Like when Jesus really marks your life, you be, kind of become a fruitcake, People are like, ugh, I don't know what to do with you. You won't stop talking about Jesus. Some of you have told me stories about how, like, your friends are just like, can we hang out and you not talk about Jesus? Like, I'll try, but it's really hard sometimes because I'm so in love with, it's like me, ask me not to ever talk about my family. Asking some of us to never talk about the Panthers, although there's less of that this year. I mean, it's just crazy. It's like asking Michelle to never mention the Cowboys. She's passionate, right? And she's going to mention the Cowboys, even if we don't like it. Can I get an amen? Amen. (laughs) That was Michelle's chance, man. I thought she was going to take it. So we've talked about there's tons of birthmarks. But when we talk about birthmarked, we're talking about things that should mark our lives. Characteristics that, that people in the world should look at us and say, I see this in you, and it's different than what I see in other people. And so I'm not going to ask you to tell me what they all were because it would make me feel like such a failure when you would be like, uh, forgetfulness? No. So here's the four that we, here's the four we're talking about this month. We've talked about being marked by hope. We've talked about being marked by faith. We've talked about being marked by joy. And this morning, we're going to finish it all up talking about how our lives should be marked by love. And we should be marked by love. If we're born again as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I need to um, explain what I mean by love. Because when I said that, some of you automatically thought of like sappy romance novels or chick flicks. And I need to just make a confession here. I am a dude and I like chick flicks. I do. I do. So like, um, I know. I thought maybe on this day, the day there's a lot of, of joy and festive spirit in the house, I could get away with sharing that. Um, I don't like sappy ones, but if they're a good story, you can ask Wendy. I mean, it'll be on TV, and, and everybody will leave the room, and I'll be, I'm like a dude on the couch watching a chick flick. If it's a good story, um, I'll stay, and I'll watch it. But that's not even the kind of love we're talking about. So when I say we should be marked by love, don't think notebook, okay? Don't think latest love story that you just paid way too much to see and eat popcorn in, right? Let's talk about the, the real kind of love, which is this. The kind of love that we should be marked by is a heavenly love. It's a heavenly love. It's, it's a love that we could never get on our own. It can only be given to us. Listen, the best that we have, love-wise, and parents that got up really, really early this morning, you're going to nod your head like, yeah, I totally agree with this. This is the best we have. 
You wake up on Christmas morning feeling great. You exchange gifts. Everybody's all smiles. It's not too long into the afternoon before there's a fight. Right? Somebody's yelling way too loud at somebody else, and they snap back, and then before long, it's like, where'd all the love go? Right? That's the best kind of love we have. We want to be marked by a love that we could never have received if it had not been given to us. We want to be marked by a heavenly love. And so that's where we're going to begin. you got three points on your, on your sheet. We're going to go through these quickly because I know they've already lost you because it's Christmas morning. Here's number one. Love moved God. We have got to begin with God. Contrary to popular opinion, love does not start in Hollywood. It starts in heaven. 1 John 4, 7 says this. Love comes from God. That's where the whole story starts. If we're going to be marked by love, we've got to receive love from God. Everybody loves love. But something about love goes haywire when we leave God out of it. When we try to love on our own, we don't receive the love that God wants to give us, something goes haywire. The, the, the part of the Christmas story that is the most moving is the fact that God did not love us from a distance. Today proves that. Now, I know we're looking back in history, right? But think about being the first people in the Christmas story to see Jesus, to hold Jesus, and to, to realize. Again, we, in our family, we read a devotion about Simeon. You can read that story on your own sometime in the Bible. But Simeon, God promised him he would not die until he held the promise, which was Jesus. And so when you read the story in the Bible, Simeon's holding a baby. Not just any baby, right? He's holding Jesus. And he knows, I mean, a lot of people held Jesus and they're like, oh, he's cute. But Simeon held Jesus and knew that he was the promised Messiah. When we realize that, when we realize that it's been given to us, that's, that's what we need this morning. When we realize God could have stayed at a distance but chose instead to come near us love moved God to do something in John three sixteen, which is a verse I love it universally memorized in the King James have you noticed that everybody knows John three sixteen in the King James for God so loved the world that he gave right and you're like no no that's not what it says it says for God so loveth the world that he gaveth his son no, that's not what it says either for God so loved the world that he sent a Christmas card. No, that he, he said, good luck. No, he so loved the world that he gave his son. Love moved God, and he gave us Jesus. And uh, Jesus is the best gift. Now, I've mentioned this before in church, um, growing up in my house, uh, Stephen, we had, he had this word called uniquey, and so every year there was this this competition in our house growing up to have the most unique gift right unique was just his term for there's no way that you could have ever seen this one coming it was the perfect gift at the perfect time for the perfect person and so it was like a little competition among me and my sisters growing up and we'd always want to have the unique gift right you, and you you wanted to give the unique gift more than you wanted to get the unique gift it was like a badge of honor that has now been passed on through the miracle of generational passing on-ish stuff to my, to my kids. This morning in our house, as we're opening presents, my kids 
all in good Christmas cheer, are arguing about who won the unique competition. And I'd have to say that they all lost because Wendy and I obviously won it, right? <laughs> Probably a tie. Listen, Jesus is the ultimate unique. Probably not the best theology but, or the way to say it, but you know what I'm saying, right? He's the ultimate best gift. I love the way Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 9.15. He said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Can I just tell you this? Love never gives bad gifts. I know you're, you're going to push back on me because some of you opened bad gifts today. <laughs> you're like, hold up. Love most definitely gave me a bad gift today. No, no, no. Last minute stressful shopping gave you a bad gift. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to make you feel bad if you gave one of those because I've given those before too. But when you love somebody and you think through what they love, and you actually have a plan to go find it well before Christmas Eve. The countdown on Amazon is going fast. You don't get bad gifts. Love never gives. You know why Jesus is the best gift? Because God had a plan way before you even were going to need it. He had a plan. He gave the best gift. Love moved God. Not only did love move God to give Jesus, but love moved Jesus. That's number two. So love moves God and love moved Jesus, right? His entire mission was to seek and save the lost. His entire, the whole reason he came was not to show up and go, ta-da, give me stuff. It's kind of how we walked out this morning, right? Give me stuff. He showed up and said, how can I serve? How can I help? How can I find those of you that are lost and save you and redeem you? His entire mission was based on being moved toward us. To save the lost, to restore us to the relationship that we had before we had messed it all up. Listen, our sin is part of the Christmas story. It's the part of the Christmas story that never makes it into the cards, right? Nobody ever sent you a Christmas card that said, Merry Christmas, you sinner, right? <laughs> we, we don't, I mean, the closest we have is um, it's home alone, right? Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Is that, is that what he says it? I think that's the closest we have, right? Nobody sends sinner Christmas greeting cards. But you've got to get this. Like, your sin and my sin is part of the Christmas story. Like, if there's no sin, there's no Savior. Like we we kind of cause Christmas to happen. But it's not the most important part of the story. The most important part of the story is the Savior who came in response to our sin. Motivating factor was the unrelenting love of God shown to us in Christ. Here's some verses you can jot down real quick. I won't read them all. Jeremiah 31 3. God said this I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, if you've lived on this earth long enough, I don't want to bring up painful memories for you. Um, I mean, so we won't talk about like when people love you and leave you and it's all about a marriage and a family thing, but how about just dating, right? How about just go back, flash back in your mind to when you first started dating. I mean, how many people said, I love you? Oh, you're everything to me. And then right after Valentine's Day, they broke up with you. They said, thanks for the gift, man. I love it. I'm so glad I Stuck it out with you for one more day. They hung out with you through, through the holidays, right? 
New Year's Eve was the best party ever. And then on New Year's Day, after they'd gotten all the presents from you, they called you or texted you and told you it's over. <laughs> You're like, wait, where'd all the love go, right? Man, love seems so fleeting sometimes, doesn't it? It's crazy. But, but God said, Jeremiah 31, 3, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And that blows our minds. Like, we just kind of, I'm, I'm watching you, those of you that I can see past the train, I'm watching you, and you're kind of nodding your head like, yeah, he does. And it's that empty nod like, I think I'm supposed to nod my head here, but I don't know if I really get it. Everlasting love. Like, you can't mess it up, love. Think about that, because I know you. You're trying to mess it up. You know me, I'm trying to mess it up. We can't. He loves us with an everlasting love. And love moved God to send Jesus, and love moved Jesus. Here's some verses just to jot down, okay? All these are examples of how Jesus, it says in Scripture, was moved with compassion. I'll let you look them up on your own time after you've eaten lunch and had a Christmas nap. Matthew 9, 36. Matthew 15, 32. Matthew 20, 34. Luke 7, 13. Luke 19, 41, 42. Is that better? Speed up. <laughs> Hebrews 4, 15. Let me go through it again. Matthew 9, 36. Matthew 15, 32. Matthew 20, 34. Luke 7, 13. Luke 19, 41 and 42. Hebrews 4.15. All of those show how Jesus was moved by compassion. Some of those verses, you'll read this, that Jesus saw the crowd. We've preached on this many times. He saw the crowd and was moved with compassion because they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's the heart of God, right? The heart of God is to always be moving toward people who are helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd as if we needed any more proof John 15 13 John 15 13 says this greater love has no man than this he would lay down his life for his friends Jesus said that to his disciples right before he went and laid down his life for his friends as if we needed any more proof that love moved Jesus John 15 13 clearly says that what Jesus did on the cross for us was the greatest evidence of his love toward us. What Jesus did on the cross for us was the greatest evidence of his love toward us. Love moved Jesus. And then finally, love moves us. Love must move us. It has to. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.14 that he was compelled by the love of Christ to take the love of Christ to the men who needed to be reconciled to God and one another. Compelled by the love of Christ to take the love of Christ. Perhaps the greatest birthmark, the greatest birthmark on the church historically has been her willingness to be moved by love to people who need love. One of the thoughts that I couldn't shake just as I was preparing this final message was just two, simply two words. Love moves. Love moves. It's, it's, so, 
It's so profound. It moved God. It moved Jesus. It must move us. In fact, every move of God will always be marked by the love of God. That's your big idea today. Every move of God will always be marked by the love of God. Not red-faced preaching, although people can get passionate and get red. Not angry preaching. Not a list of rules, a long list of what you better do and another, a longer list of what you better not do. There's a place for that, but our lives change not because we're told to do something, but because we're loved into doing something. Every move of God will always be marked by the love of God. He gives love to us and he gives love through us. And so what does that look like? Let's just call that um, this amazing cycle of love. And, and I want to show you a video, okay? Um, now listen, I hope, you, I hope it makes sense to you because I watched it and it made tons of sense to me. So it's going to make sense to you, right? Right? And it's Christmas. Everything makes sense on Christmas, right? So I want to show you this, this video. It's, it's a little bit little lengthy. Kind of lean in, pay attention, okay? It's a compilation of a bunch of commercials from a company. And I love to take these kind of videos and use them in sermons because you're listening to me going, yeah, but you're a preacher. And because I'm a preacher, that means that at some point, no matter how awesome what I'm saying is, and it is awesome, by the way, at some point, because I'm the preacher, it starts to sound like Charlie Brown's teacher in your head. I know that. I know that. I'm not going to fight against it. I mean, I think you should lean in a little bit more, but I'm not going to fight against that. But what I want you to understand is what I'm telling you right now is what God has told us forever. And you may hear me like, wah, 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 wah. But industries and businesses in our culture understand what I just spent 15 minutes telling you. So much so that they will spend millions of dollars to hire advertising agencies to create an advertising campaign to show on TV preaching what I just preached to you. Because it's not, they didn't come up with it. They took it from the gospel. That love moves God to send Jesus who was moved with compassion toward us so that we would be moved on mission toward people. And then when we're moved towards those people, guess what happens? What you heard Jerry say this morning, the love of God grabs us and compels us to flip the cycle back around and go out again and again and again. And that's how love changes the world through the church. Watch this. So let me do this. We need to wrap this series up. And I want to, I want to do, do this. I want you to see that it's more than a four-week series. I want you to see that we've been talking about how you and I should be marked, right? These four birthmarks that we should have. But what I want you to take away from this is that you and I, at this point in history, are part of a move of God that is fueled by the love of God. It's been going on for, for centuries. We're, we're, not, we're just new at this game. This has been going on for a long time. God's been marking the world since the beginning of time. Let me assure you of this. As followers of this Jesus who came as a baby and was killed as a rebel and resurrected as a king. We are part of a move of God that is leaving its mark on the history of mankind. This is bigger than you can imagine. You're not alone. You don't live out your faith alone. This world is changed. It is marked forever. 
by the birth of Jesus and by the move of God through the church of God, fueled by the love of God. Let me give you a few examples. Um, consider these words. This is from a person named Dinesh D'Souza. It's an interesting name. And here's what, it, here's what he writes. Christianity is responsible for the way our society is organized and for the way we currently live. So extensive is the Christian contribution to our laws, our economics, our politics, our arts, our calendar, our holidays, and our moral and cultural priorities that historian J.M. Roberts writes in his book, The Triumph of the West, quote, We could none of us today be what we are if a handful of Jews nearly 2,000 years ago had not believed that they had known a great teacher, seen him crucified, dead, buried, and risen again. If that doesn't convince you, just consider this. The concept of universal human rights comes exclusively from the biblical idea that all people are created in the image of God. In ancient cultures, women were property with such little value that it was common among the Greeks and the Romans. In the culture where Christianity was birthed, it was common at that time for Greeks and Romans to take girls, infant girls, and throw them out the window to die. That's how little women were valued. And the church was the first group that looked at its members and said, not you. It was the early church that brought an end to the celebrated practice, believe this or not, of killing one's own children. From as early as the late first century, the church instructed against abortion. Historian Glenn Sunshine, what is up with historians having weird names? It's crazy, isn't it? He brings sunshine everywhere he goes. Here's what he said about slavery. He said, Christians were the first people in history to oppose slavery systematically. Early Christians purchased slaves in the markets simply to set them free. The 5th century monk, Telemachus, by the way, this is a great story and I'll tell it in a sermon soon. I can't I don't have time now. The 5th century monk, Telemachus, single-handedly brought an end to the gladiator games. And missionaries are credited with stopping most of cannibalism in most of the world. Listen, there's no doubt that the birth of Jesus marked our world. And there's no doubt that these believers, from the beginning of the church till now, have been marked and different in their cultures in such a way that they have left their mark on culture. Listen, you don't step out into a society that does not still need to be changed. You are marked by the birth of a baby who became a king. You are marked by a man who lived among us as God and gave his life for us. You are marked. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are different today because of what we celebrate today. And we cannot live below that. We must live marked lives by the gospel. There is no doubt that the birth of Jesus left its mark on history. And my prayer is that it's his birth will mark your life as well. And when it does, listen to this. We will walk differently than the culture around us. And the move of God that comes through us will be fueled by the love of God. And that will be the greatest birthmark of all.